Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. Welcome to Seasoned. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. The kids have been back to school for a few weeks now, so if your house is anything like our respective houses, life just got a little busier. Later in the show, I talk with Lonnie Burt. She heads up Hartford Public Schools Food and Child Nutrition Services. Lonnie explains the logistics of feeding thousands of kids breakfast, lunch, and dinner now, too. We'll learn about the state's farm-to-school program and how Lonnie uses the cafeteria-as-classroom concept with her staff to help them market fresh, healthy food to the kids in their lunch lines. And we'll hear from some kids, too. What do they look forward to eating when that lunch bell rings? But first, back to school means back to routines. So we'll start the show with tips to avoid lunchbox burnout for all the parents who send their kids to school with a packed lunch. Our first guest is Renee Coley. She is the author of The Little Lunchbox Cookbook, Easy Real Food Bento Lunches for Kids on the Go. She's also the founder of Raising Generation Nourished, a website and community devoted to feeding the next generation of eaters real food. She lives in Michigan. We started by asking Renee what inspired her to write her cookbook. I have three girls. This year, my girls are in seventh grade and fifth grade and first grade. So when I wrote The Little Lunchbox Cookbook, my youngest was going into school. So I had already gone through sort of the firstborn all that new, being a new mom, having a child in school full-time and making lunches, and then going through the second child and learning all of the things that come along with having two kids now to pack lunches for, plus a baby at home. And they have to eat, <laughs> like all three of them actually have to eat. What ended up inspiring the book more than anything was actually being in these classrooms. I worked from home, and so I had the flexibility to go in be with the kids and help and be like the room parent. My kids actually go to a really small um, little public charter Montessori school and the kids all eat in the classroom, sort of like family style. So I could, there's no hot lunch program. These kids had to bring their own lunches in and you could see the varying types of lunches, but I also could tell the kids that were maybe coming with a bag of chips and an apple, how they were functioning in the afternoon. And you could physically see them crashing, or you could physically see the kids that were maybe coming with a juice box and you know just a couple of little high sugar things. And you could physically watch them crash in the afternoons compared to the kids that had you know, just a well-balanced lunch. It doesn't even have to be fancy. <laughs> But I could see the the difference in the learning of these kids. And my real food journey starts way back, even when my kids were really little babies. I wrote my first cookbook when my youngest was a toddler about baby food and how to get kids started on real food. One of the things that I noticed was that moms would get really excited about feeding their kids really, really well when they were really little at home. And then that all goes out the window when our lives get busy and the kids have to go to school and you have to pack that lunch every single day. 
And I noticed when my firstborn went to school, I was getting burned out. I had these big, like real food goals for her. Like I was going to feed her the same as I had been feeding her all the way up until that point. But I noticed really quickly that I was getting very burned out, making everything from scratch all the time. So uh, this lunchbox cookbook is actually the whole premise of it is showing moms how to balance a school lunch box with all the macronutrients that a child will need for a busy school day, but without having to make everything from scratch every single day. So one little portion of the lunchbox is homemade and the rest would be fill in, add in type things that are easy to add into a lunchbox, such as apples or carrot sticks or cheese, things like that, that you can add in. So it's fun lunches that are going to nourish them so that they can get through their day, but also be something that you can do the whole school year and not just September. You know, it's funny. I, I just hearing you talk about these things. I was a stay-at-home dad. I have three daughters as well. And I stayed home with my daughters when they were, you know, getting into school and whatnot. And the biggest thing that used to drive me crazy, they would all eat something different. None of them like to eat the same thing. And it's almost mind-numbing when you're like cutting up oranges, I'm cutting up apples, and I'm cutting up grapes because the grapes have to be cut in half and the carrots have to be tiny. And all the little things that kids want to have to make them eat these sort of things. Any kind of tips for that? Because I tell you what, it was one of the things that made me crazy. Absolutely. Have the kids pack their own lunch. We do that now. So yeah, regardless of age. So if you have a kindergartner, so kindergarten is typically the age where kids start bringing a full day's worth of lunch. Now, if you have a child in daycare and they're a toddler, clearly that you're going to be a little bit more hands-on, but start at that age with pulling them up to the counter and showing them how to peel a carrot, showing them how to cut an apple with an apple cutter and showing them how to balance a lunch so that by the time they're in kindergarten, they can help you. So if they have fruit preferences, my kids at this point, you know, I sort of help build my youngest's lunchbox and my older two girls, so fifth and seventh grade, they sort of look at what I'm doing and they do their own thing. So if they would prefer to have an apple instead of a banana, they're on their own. I guess in my house, we don't do short order cook tightness. <laughs> So, um, you know, if they, if one child likes theirs cut a certain way, I'll, I'll, you know, do that kind of thing. But by the time they get to those older ages, if they're able to pack their own lunches, then that takes that off your plate. If you didn't start this at these young ages and say you have middle elementary school kids into middle, especially if you have middle school and high school kids, they can pack their own lunch. But if you have these middle elementary school kids and they've never packed a lunch before, they've maybe never helped you in the kitchen before, sit down with them on a weekend and plan out their lunch boxes on Sunday night, sit down and plan out. So this is what a healthy, balanced lunch that will get you through the afternoon looks like a main protein, a fruit, a vegetable, making sure that there's some brain building fats in there somewhere. So have those labeled out, have them fill it in themselves. If they're really picky about what they like to have in, have them take a part in it so that they feel like they're getting a choice and they're not just getting this food shoved on them. And then you don't have to think about it <laughs> on the night before or the morning right. of. Or the morning of. I'm always challenged with the morning of. So I pack the night before. I, I've tried morning of packing and I for three, I, we just, it doesn't work. <laughs> it's tough. I know. I think different families do what works for them. And 
I wonder if you wouldn't mind telling us about uh, macronutrients, mm -hmm. how you're defining them, and how we can pack those or include those in our children's lunch boxes. There are three macronutrients, fats, proteins, and carbohydrates. And quite frankly, children need all three. I don't necessarily, I don't count carbs. I don't count protein and I don't count fat and my, neither do my children. They do not know how to do that, but they do understand that on their plate, the protein and the fat is what's going to sustain them through the day. They also know that the carbohydrates are not our enemies in my house. Carbohydrates are not enemies. Carbohydrates give us energy. So things like an apple fruit, starchy vegetables like squashes and pumpkin, like a um, pumpkin soup, or there's a squash, like a harvest vegetable soup um, made with squash and pumpkin and all that kind of stuff in the cookbook that will give them energy that is long and sustaining energy because there's fiber packed in naturally into vegetables that helps slow the burn. And it sounds like this is your plays into your mantra of make every bite count. Yeah. Could you tell us, I think a lot of parents, and you you obviously know this yourself, but specifically our, our listeners, it's tough to have our kids buy into doing all of this, right? Yeah. I have a kid that I just, if he can eat something, that is a win-win. Like he does not eat fruit. I do not know how to get, get him to eat fruit. Sure. I'm not going to ask you to give me any tricks. I am, however, going to ask you. <laughs> I know you have these rules of thumb for the buy-in, and I wonder if you wouldn't mind going through them. And one of them is don't try to change things overnight. One of them might be, you know, planning on the weekends. If you could give us those those takeaways so that our listeners don't feel so overwhelmed when they're trying to pack a lunch. Absolutely. So if you're new to real food and you're new to wanting to make this change, what you had just said, don't change everything overnight. I think with kids specifically, that's key. Number one, focus on making swaps and adding in instead of just taking everything away. So for instance, if the kids are really hooked on fruit snacks and that's what they want in their lunch, you know, maybe put a few of them in there, but put something else in there that's going to make their lunch count. So instead of maybe putting the whole bag of fruit snacks in, you put a few in there as their little, you know, their little treat. And you mentioned that your kid won't eat any fruit, but I was going to say, put a fruit in there that they really like. <laughs> well, I was going to, I was envisioning he has, he's grown a palate for raspberries. So I could see taking the fruit snacks, putting like three or four and then three or four raspberries. Yep. I'm sure I'll come home with three squished raspberries, but you got to start <laughs> somewhere. Absolutely. Or add the raspberries to yogurt. You know, if he'll eat yogurt, then maybe he'll make like a little parfait and you can put like, you know, a cup of yogurt and he can put granola on there that you like or, and, you know, in the raspberries. And then he can kind of feel like he's a part of making that as well. Make him a part of making his lunch menu out. This is what you need to have in, in your lunch so that you don't feel like you're crashing at the end of the day. Do you want energy on? Put it that ball in their court. Help them feel their body. I often talk about making kids body aware. They don't understand that that crash they're having in the afternoon, the brain fog, maybe the meltdown in the car on the way home from school, that all is connected to their blood sugar falling. But they don't understand that unless you make them aware of it. Very, we, we just started school last week and my, my first grader got into the car. 
I could tell she was dehydrated. She's something about where her water bottle was. She did not drink her water all day. If they're getting in the car and they're completely losing it and you see that they didn't eat the protein in their lunch or the fat in their lunch, it's going to sustain them, help them make that connection because they're not going to make that connection. Well, two things I wanted to bring up with that too. Making the fruit snacks yourself is really simple to do and you can do it with your kids. It's really easy. Absolutely. Doing that is, a, is an option as well. But you talked earlier about fats that feed the brain. And you know, I have two daughters that just went to high school and immediately when they hit high school, they lose 40 IQ points. Um, so <laughs> I'm trying to figure out <laughs> more of those, you know, those healthy fats, those brain food type fats. Could you give us a couple examples of those? When, when I think of healthy, real fats, I'm thinking very, very simply putting butter on a muffin, real butter, not fake butter, not margarine butter, not soy butter, real butter. Kids love butter anyway. My kids will take dinner leftover roasted vegetables, which are super sweet. It's like one of the best ways to get kids to eat vegetables is to just roast them. But if you're cooking it in butter or coconut oil, olive oil, something like that, those are all very brain, brain feeding fats. Fish, there's a great fish stick recipe in the in the book. So if your kids love fish sticks, these are crispy and they're they're fun and that you can I don't care if they dip them in ketchup. I know there'll be some people that say that that's full of sugar. I don't even care if it'll get the fish in them and feed their brain. There's also a great tuna salad recipe that you can stuff in their favorite pita pasta salad with lots of olive oil. If kids love pasta, so make a pasta salad. There's a pesto pasta salad, which is filled with olive oil as well. That will fill their brain. There's some energy bites in there that have nuts and trail mix, things like that. Teenagers, I know, uh, tend to really love the fat bombs and you can Google those. I don't actually even have rest because there's like tons of them made with coconut butter or coconut oil or butter. Those are great ways to get fat and they don't need a ton, you know, a serving of, you know, fat is about the size of your thumb. It's not like they need to drink a gallon of, of olive oil. Just make sure that there's a little bit of fat in their, in their meal at every meal. We're getting lunch tips from cookbook author Renee Coley. We'll hear more from Renee coming up. Before we head into a break, our producer Robin Doyen Aiken spent a Saturday morning talking with kids at Bartlam Park in Cheshire about their favorite school lunches. Robin started at the Playscape, made her way to the baseball field, and ended at the skateboard park. East Haven preschooler Ella Rosado Yap kicks us off. Her dad was pushing her on the swings. I love lunch like school. What is your favorite thing to eat at lunchtime at school? Pizza, salad, <laughs> chicken. It's not spicy. <laughs> Is lunchtime one of your favorite times of the day? Yes. My name is Alia Dia Hakim, and I am six years old, and I'm gonna turn seven. I go to Doolittle School, and my favorite lunch food at Doolittle is the waffle sticks and the hash brownies. I like about their their yummy taste, and I like about the the like hard shell and stuff. My name is Whitney Rayball. I am nine years old, and I go to school at Cheshire Norton School, and my favorite lunch in the cafeteria is stuffed crust pizza because 
The crust is soft and it's really good and it has the cheese in the crust and I really like it. My name is Megan Desmond. I'm 10 years old. I'm in fifth grade. <laughs> I can't remember what it was. What do you love to eat for hot lunch? I like breadstick dunkers. It's bread with cheese and salsa, I think. And I like hot, like sauce. <laughs> My name is Adriana, and I go to SMS in Stratham, New Hampshire. And my favorite food at my school is buttery pasta. Classic buttery pasta. You just heard the voices of kids hanging out at Bartlett Park in Cheshire. No surprise, they're big fans of pizza and pasta. Us too. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. Coming up after the break, we'll get back to our conversation with Renee Coley, the author of the Little Lunchbox Cookbook. We'll talk about using real food to make copycat Lunchables and the ease of veggie, nutrient-dense soups they can take in the thermos. And they can slurp that down just like that, way faster than they can eat a salad. A five-year-old eating a salad is a nightmare. This is Seasoned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Seasoned. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. Okay, let's get back to our conversation with Renee Coley. She's the author of The Little Lunchbox Cookbook. The major takeaway of this book, kids need three things in every lunch. A healthy fat, a carbohydrate, and a protein. And make it easy for everybody. Get your kids involved in the process and build the lunch around one homemade thing. And maybe that one homemade thing can be the crackers or roasted chicken for a copycat Lunchable. We love a good copycat recipe. I'm with you. Like, I don't care if you dip your protein in high fructose corn syrup. I'm going to focus more on the protein. But I drew the line at the Lunchables. That felt a little too processed for me. So I'm anxious to hear about what your version of the Lunchable is. This started with my youngest who came home from kindergarten and was like, Mom, you will never believe what this so-and-so brought to lunch. It is so cool. So she went on to tell me about this Lunchable and I'm like, (laughs) so I, you know, as I always do with anything that they come home with asking about, I took her to the store and I flipped it over and I helped her read and helped her decipher what was on the back of that box. So if you have kids that are really into Lunchables, just make them at home. And you know what, in the, in the cookbook, there's a super fun gluten-free cracker recipe to make because usually lunchable like the classic lunchable you know crackers cheese meat that you can stack they call it cracker stacker so you can like make little sandwiches with it unfortunately for a lot of gluten-free kids and there's a lot of them gluten-free crackers at the store a lot of them have nuts in them and most schools are not free so it's very hard to find a gluten-free cracker that also is not processed in a nut facility or have nuts in it so this recipe is for those kids if you have a favorite cracker that your kids will do you don't have to make the crackers it's just there in case you need it my my oldest actually likes to make it herself it gives her something to do if you have a lot of these tweeny girls they love to be in the kitchen and baking and doing something fun and fiddling with dough so let them make it 
But if you don't have the time for that, just make their lunchable crackers, cheese. You can buy stuff that doesn't have all the processed ingredients. You can buy a quality meat. In my house, I, I like to budget save. And so I, a lot of times I'll skip the lunch meat because I want lunch meat that has quality ingredients and it's expensive. You can vouch for this too, Chef Quam. Kids, they hit 12 and they will eat you out of house and home. Like my 12 year old will eat an entire container of deli meat and I cannot afford that. <laughs> so I will throw a whole chicken in my instant pot, shred it up and then portion it out into the freezer. And she can grab the portion of chicken and that can be her meat to put on her cracker stackers. And turkey breast works great for that too. You can roast a whole turkey, you get like a half a little of turkey breast and just season it up and roast it off in the yeah. oven. Beautiful. You got it. Slice it right off. Works great. Yeah, absolutely. And there's also a pizza lunchable in there because the pizza lunchables come to school as well. So I make little flatbreads, but you can buy a little flatbreads. Um, I know, actually, I just saw them at Costco like the last few times. I don't always go in that section just because we can't have gluten in our house. But they have like these little flatbreads. They would be perfect for a pizza Lunchable. And the ingredients are much better than what you're going to find in a pizza Lunchable. Probably more affordable as well if you're making your own. Just have the kids shred their own cheese and um, put, you know, your pizza sauce in there and they can make their own pizza Lunchable. What about a Brunchable? The Brunchable is super fun too. So little mini pancakes. If you have a favorite pancake recipe that uses really good ingredients, use that. All you got to do is make little mini pancakes and put them in there. Favorite sausage. I don't tend to send it with the syrup, but if that's what gets your kids to do it, go ahead. I tend to just make the pancakes a little sweeter or put peanut butter on it and make, you know, that gives them a little extra protein and they make it like a little sandwich or they dip it in fruit. So if you cook down frozen strawberries or cook down frozen, any berry, you can put a little drizzle of honey in it. It's way less sugar than you're going to get with a little maple syrup. And there's nothing wrong with a little maple syrup. We do that on the weekends when we have our waffles or whatnot. But in the lunchbox, sometimes that can get a little messy. It can get a little sticky to to pack it in a little container. It's just... It's cumbersome. Yeah. You can dip... they'll, They'll dip it in fruit. Or you could spread some Nutella on it and call it a day. Yeah. Now, the great mystery, because I've tried this, how to keep chicken nuggets crispy. So I'll either make my own chicken nuggets or I'll have chicken nuggets and then I'll put them in the toaster oven, fold them in foil, send him off. End of the day, I open it up. Mm -hmm. Gavin, why are these chicken nuggets still in here? They were soggy and cold. What is the secret? Do you have one? I don't think I've ever been able to keep them super crispy in a lunchbox. So if that's a, a thing for him, I probably would just say it's either this if you want to eat it this way or let's pick a different protein. Um, I have tried packing it in a warm thermos. I have tried all of the things. Yeah. I mean, unless they have a toaster oven at school and they can use it, <laughs> that's not no. that's not the case. Well, Shucks. All right. Yeah. I thought I'd ask. I wish I could make that. So there is a trick you can do. The chef brain pops out here. It's not going to be perfect, but it will make them crispier than they would be not, you know, what happens is if you put them in a container and wrap them up, the moisture has no place to go. So it soaks back into the chicken, right? The steam, even if it's not super hot, it still has moisture coming off. If it has no place to go, it's going to soak right back into your breadcrumbs. If you take a good paper towel, right? You can't buy the, the cheap ones. You have to buy the good ones. And you put your chicken nuggets on that paper towel and sprinkle salt on the bottom and top. 
and then wrap them gently and then cover them up and take them to school, they will stay a little bit crispier because that moisture now doesn't soak back into the breadcrumbs. It soaks into the paper towel instead. But if it sits in the paper towel too long, obviously that'll soak back in. But it, I've, I've used it before. It works. That's a great idea. Science. Science. Any any salad recipes for us for these lunch boxes? My tween has actually gotten more into wanting to take salads to school. But I wanted to make really fun dressings for kids that maybe aren't into salads, but maybe they would get into salads if they had a fun dressing. So there's a chicken salad with a fun, fruity poppy seed dressing. And there's an Asian uh, dressing with spiralized veggies. Maybe they're not into cucumbers or zucchini or whatever, but if you spiralize them and make them really, really small or shred them with, or use like a julienne peeler, it makes them super small. It makes them much easier to manage. My, that's how I prepared raw veggies for my kids when they were toddlers, because it's just easier to eat that way. But it makes a really fun salad and these dressings are really fun to go with it. There's other salads in there as well that aren't as veggie packed, um, such as there's like there's a uh, two pasta salads. There's a pesto pasta salad that actually the pesto sauce has roasted broccoli blended right in it. The kids won't even know it's very cheesy um, and it tastes amazing. So you can make that for dinner double it up and then throw it in their lunch boxes for the next day. It's really good, warm or cold. So if your kids like it better warm, you can just pack it in a thermos and they can eat the pasta warm. Well, and you're a big fan of sandwiches as I am too. Uh, I think sandwiches make great lunches. Yeah. It's, it's almost a perfect food. You can put anything you want on it in between some bread and it's delicious. One of the recipes on our website is a chicken salad pinwheels. Can you talk about that a little bit? I love that. Yeah. I started making pinwheels when I tried making wraps for my kindergartner. I was just finding that they were messy. It was messy and hard for her to eat within the allotted amount of time that they have um, at school. And actually my kids have a pretty decent 20, 25 minutes to eat. I know that that's not the case at most schools. You get like 15 minutes and that's about it. But I found that by cutting up the wrap, into smaller portions, she was able to just manage it easier. So it works really well. She's still 12 and likes to pack them that way. Don't tell her I said that because she would probably freak out, but she actually still likes to pack it that way. But the chicken salad is just a classic chicken salad, but you can add in vegetables to make it really colorful. So you spread it on a tortilla and roll it up and then slice it so that it's really pretty. It's much easier for a smaller kid to eat as well. And what about thermos soups? I know earlier we mentioned about putting stuff in a thermos, but that feels like a nice, hearty, well-balanced meal. Yeah. And actually for little kids, it's one of the best ways to get vegetables in because it's easy to eat. Kindergarten, when my kids were in kindergarten, I rarely packed carrot sticks and celery. It's raw. They have to chew a little bit longer. I save that kind of stuff for at home. It just takes a little bit longer to eat. Whereas when I pack a veggie packed soup, like a broccoli soup in a thermos, especially if it's a fully pureed soup, I pack a little uh, stainless steel straw or whatever straw that you like to have at home. And they can slurp that down just like that way faster than they can eat a salad. A five-year-old eating a salad is a nightmare. It takes forever they can get so much more nourishment in. And the thing about vegetables and these veggie soups, they are packed with minerals, regular natural minerals. And these minerals are what is going to balance 
all of the things that are going on in their organs, it's going to balance their electrolytes so that they can get through the rest of their day. I'll make a pot of soup on the weekend, or I'll make a pot of soup on Monday for dinner. And then we can use that throughout the week for their lunches. One of my goals is usually to freeze a quart of soup out of every pot of soup that I make so that I have some in the freezer for those busy weeks where I don't have time to cook. I can just pull that out of the freezer and use that instead. Yeah, that's a great idea. I like it. You know, I think one of my favorite things, we've talked about it once already, is, and I'm going to try to keep it in my mind the whole time. I'm actually going to tell my kids as they're making their own lunches to keep one thing homemade. I like that. I think that's a really, really good way to look at making lunches for sure, Renee. Yeah, because you're going to burn out. I've been there. Trust me. I'm sitting here in my kitchen. My job is to make fun things for kids to eat. It's easy to get caught up in making all the granola bars and making all the crackers and chips and little side items. And there are fun recipes for that in there. But you can't home make everything unless you want to burn out. And the school year is very long. (laughs) (laughs) That's for sure. Right? So just slow down and make one one homemade thing. I rely on dinner leftovers um, often as well. That is me 100% like you. I make my own granola. I make chocolate chia cups. I make banana bread. I make all of that. But then on a day like today, this morning, I left the house at five o'clock and I was like, you fools are going to fend for yourselves at school today. Figure it out. <laughs> I could- you have nails and you have teeth. You can, you can forage for nuts and berries. Away with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we had some days like that. Actually, last week with our first week of school, I had a thousand other things going on that week for some reason. But I had let my oldest know that there was chicken in the freezer that she could figure out something to make with it. Life skills. My mom did her very best, but I grew up in the 80s and 90s. So everything was low fat. It was nothing whole. You were not eating live food. You were eating everything processed. I know. TV dinner, kid. Yeah. I didn't learn how to do any of this until my own health crashed in my 20s. And I had to learn how to cook. I've been trying to show them how to meal plan. This is why I'm putting this into the freezer. This is why I'm doubling this so that we can put it in your lunchboxes so that maybe when they're in their 20s, though, some of that will stick. That was Michigan Mom of Three, Renee Coley. She's the author of The Little Lunchbox Cookbook, Easy, Real Food Bento Lunches for Kids on the Go. She's also the founder of Raising Generation Nourished, a website and community devoted to feeding the next generation of eaters real food. We've got you covered, moms and dads who pack lunches. Visit our website to see recipes from the book. There you'll find healthy chicken salad pinwheels, five-ingredient chicken nuggets, vegetable soup for those thermoses, and a fall squash soup you'll want for your own lunch, too. Go to ctpublic.org slash recipes. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, I talk with the woman in charge of making vegetables appealing to thousands of kids in Hartford Public Schools. You are what you eat. If you are not a vegetable eater, you got some troubles. You're listening to Seasoned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Seasoned. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. So far in the show, we've focused on the brown bag bento lunchbox you make at home. But we know many of you rely on a good old-fashioned hot lunch from the school cafeteria. 
As you'll hear from our next guest, those school lunches aren't so old-fashioned anymore. Lonnie Burt has been in school food services since 1985. She's the Senior Director of Food and Child Nutrition for Hartford Public Schools. Chef Plum talked with Lonnie about how the lunch game has changed over time, the many challenges she and her staff face, and about the farm-to-school program and the cafeteria-as-classroom concept. But first, I wanted to know what drives her to do this work. I am a registered dietitian. I truly, in my heart of hearts, believe that health is a conscious effort. You are what you eat. Yeah. And that if you are not a vegetable eater, you got some troubles. Just So that's what motivates me, is that I really get to do a lot of really good work with health promotion. Our students don't even kind of realize that's a big part of what we do. How much has the job changed from when you first started back in 85 to now? How different is it? The biggest change and probably the changes I'm, as a dietitian, the most proud of is um, when the Healthy Kids Free Hunger Act came out in 2012 with um, Michelle Obama's all of that, we really put the focus back on nutrition. So our program is totally self-operating and in Hartford, that budget's $20 million. And so it's always about making sure you're balancing that bottom line and that you're running in the black and you're not running a program that's losing money. So when I first got into this industry, that truly was the focus. Make sure you, you broke even and that you didn't lose money because you would have to take funds out of the general budget. Mm-hmm. So our focus back then, and I will admit this to you, since you are a chef and understand this, <laughs> I was so proud of the day when I was a director in a previous district and we bought a self-cleaning fry Hey, <laughs> because we could sell five cases of French fries every day in order to get the funding to make our, and our students were very happy. Even then I said to some of my colleagues, I sold my dietitian soul to get this fry <laughs> but we needed the income. Those days, thankfully are really gone. And the focus truly is much more about the quality of nutrition. There's a lot more, a lot more intricacies to the program. There's a little bit more regulatory. And I would say to you, one of the other bigger things is the expansion into supper. If you're going to be in a school program and an after-school program until five o'clock or six o'clock in the afternoon, we need to feed you. This isn't about income. It's about time. I don't think there's been a, a news day this week that I haven't heard about the bus driver shortage. Kids are on buses from six o'clock in the morning. I don't care if you ate at school or at home before you got on that bus or not. 90 minutes later, you're going to be hungry. So having breakfast available, what child student's going to get up for the bus and get on the bus at six o'clock and be that organized to have breakfast? Mm-hmm. And they're all right there like scrambling, right? And so absolutely, it's about what do we need to do to make sure our students are ready for their academic day? One of the things I would probably guess is better since 1985 to now is the food's probably gotten better. <laughs> food is significantly better. And I would say to you, in Hartford and in most programs, we're not handling raw meat. Our burgers are cooked. The chicken is cooked. I'm buying Tyson chicken. We're buying the same product that's being sold in KFC. Okay. Where I see huge changes since the 80s is in the fresh produce, how much farm fresh and how much local produce that we have available to us that we're incorporating into our menus. And I see a much more sophisticated customer than I did in the 80s. So you're saying that the kids themselves are actually becoming more food smart, the students. Absolutely. They go out more. Today, if you look at the studies, they'll tell you that the number one use of cell phones between the hours of 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. are, hi, honey, where are you? I'm on my way home. What do you want for dinner? Who's stopping to pick it up? That's the number one use of cell phones between the hours of 4 and 6. Sounds like you were just listening to my phone calls yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm a chef. Exactly. Listen, there's something really important there that I think you said that 
as a chef that I really like, I hear on the show that we really, we love to celebrate the, the farmers and the local food makers here on this program. And you said that getting produce from local farms. I love that. Can you elaborate on that just a touch for us? So I love that too. Across the state in Connecticut, many, many programs are participating in a farm to school type program and working with their local farmers or, or somebody in their local area to get them some local produce. In Hartford, we have a true commitment to that. And so we work specifically with Knox Foundation and the Keeney Park Sustainability Project. The Knox Foundation has an incubator farmer program. And so they work with um, new and upcoming farmers who are learning how to uh, make a living being a farmer. Keeney Park also, that's her Virgo. He is just outstanding and about 85%. But we're talking two places right here in an urban setting that nobody would expect to be providing fresh local produce for. It's amazing. And so Keeney Park is right up over there by the golf course. And about 85% of the produce that they grow there, they sell to Harvard schools. That's great. It's great for them too. And so what actually um, Herb does for us at Keeney Park is he really works with all of the farmers and he aggregates. Hereford Public Schools is 44 schools. We have another three. We do Jamoki Charter School. We do a Montessori program. We, we also uh, service the Achievement First program. So we have 47 schools that we are servicing in 50 different buildings, 51 different buildings. And so on average, we're serving about, with this pandemic, it's a little bit lower. We're averaging about six, 7,000 breakfasts a day, about 13,000 lunches. Any farmer, unless you're telling me you're a very large farmer, they're not going to be able to grow all the produce that we need. They just can't. So what I love about Herb, Herb is that he will aggregate for us and grab if we need squash. So we would get a larger variety of produce. We like really working with both those Hartford groups, the Knox Foundation and Keeney Park for several reasons. One is that our students absolutely relate to that. And we did a study with a UConn PhD student who studied our, our district and Mansfield and, what, and wanted to know what was the marketing messages that resonated with students that would get them to actually eat the local vegetables. And I'm focusing on vegetables because fruits are easier to get students or anybody to eat. Vegetables are harder. And vegetables are a lot more nutrient dense. So from a dietitian's point of view, a serving of vegetables is about 25 calories. And a serving of fruit is about 80 calories because of the natural sugar that you're going to find in fruit. So from a dietitian's point of view, I really want students to eat more vegetables. They are more nutrient dense and they have less sugar and calories in them. So they, that's why when you look at any of the meal patterns, the quantities you need are more. So anyways, in that study, what came out in, with the Hartford students was our students really migrated towards the fact, the statements that these were foods that were grown by somebody in their community who was their neighbor who looked like them. Yeah. And our students are committed to helping their neighbors. Wow. And so that's what we love about that. We also, um, several years ago, wrote a grant and purchased um, some packaging equipment, including a blast chiller. So in the summertime, and I will say to you, this was not in the middle of this pandemic, sure. but in the summertime, we take local produce and we flash freeze it so that we have local produce available for us in the winter months when it's not available for us locally. Let's talk non-pandemic crazy times. We made all of our own sofrito because we have an Eros Gandules recipe, which is we try and find as many cultural foods as we can. And we made all of our own sofrito from local tomatoes, the peppers. 
and we bought the annatto seed. And that way we had sofrito that was local the entire school year for what we needed for our um, menu. That's great. And sofrito basically is like a mirepoix. Yes. You know, it's you know, your, your standard mirepoix is your carrots, onions, and celery. But sofrito, there's peppers in there. It's just a delicious version of mirepoix, which is great. You guys are actually making mirepoix. That makes me so excited. <laughs> <laughs> it's fabulous. And so, and my staff loves it. And and actually, during the pandemic, we had to, you know, we were sending meals home. We actually gave families those packages of sofrito because they know what to do with it. They came back with pictures with soups. They were making rice. It was fabulous. It was a lot of fun. Talking about the pandemic a little bit, you know, we celebrated the way our food service providers rallied to feed the kids grab-and-go breakfast and lunch during the first year of the pandemic. And I know it's not over. You know, what are some of the challenges you guys have had? I, I got a feeling it's very similar to my business, you know, just People. People. Once the pandemic started, and that was basically the world shut down here in our area on Friday, literally that Monday. So that entire weekend, we were just trying to scramble. We did not have permission at that moment to serve out of school. So we were in eight different locations throughout the city. And I'm saying literally on sidewalks, handing out meals. We were quickly able to switch that from hot serving hot meals on the streets to providing the grab and go meals home three days a week. We probably distributed 5 million meals between breakfast and lunch. It was no small feat. Yeah, unbelievable. From March 20th to 2020, our food service staff here in Hereford and in every other school district across this country has not stopped. These guys worked hard and physically hard. But the bigger challenge right now is without any doubt, we have 70 open positions. Unbelievable. Seven zero. So we do not have a single school right now that is fully staffed. There's still a bunch of kids in school we got to feed. And because we're short staffed, we really had to look at we had to pare those menus down. We're not offering as many options. We just don't have the physical capability to manage all of that right now. Yeah, it's not all doom and gloom here. We could talk no. about some of the some of the challenges, of course, we've talked about. But I want to talk about some of the positive things happening you have in these school cafeterias. Tell us a little bit about the cafeteria as a classroom concept, because I love this. I was I saw a really great poster uh, in, in a picture when I was doing a little research on you. <laughs> you saw me in that. You saw that little uh, my little fruit thing there yeah um yeah, and so great. yes and so first of all let me return back to the staff itself we have fabulous that's what keeps me going okay my staff has worked every single day and shows up and so again in Hartford, i'd say about 50 percent of our staff doesn't drive and i have staff that take two or three buses to come to work and do a split shift for us how blessed am i so that's what motivates me honestly when i see them but the cafeteria is a classroom. And so that what you're referring to and how you found me was I am a trainer for the Institute of Child Nutrition, ICN, which is the USDA, which is the training branch of USDA. Okay. I train on different topics that they have available and have asked me to become a trainer on. And so this is one of them. It's called the cafeteria as the classroom. It's geared for school nutrition professionals, so my staff that works in the kitchens, for them to really look at and realize that they are a part of the academic process. And it isn't just us and them. And so I'm looking at the menus and how are we marketing these menus to families? Again, you know, when you think back to an elementary student, how do they determine that they're going to get lunch today is because they have that menu up on the refrigerator and they stand in front of that menu with mom or dad and say, okay, which days this week do you want to buy lunch, honey? Or do you want to get lunch? And which days do I make you lunch from home? So that menu, for example, we say it's farm fresh local green beans on our menu so that our families know this is local. We work with Scott's Bakery right here in Hartford, the Jamaican Bakery, and we use their Jamaican beef patty. Um, And they worked with us to actually develop that product, take their normal product that they get, that you get in their bakeries, and they 
turned that crust into whole grain. They lowered the fat content, they lowered the sodium content, and they lowered the pepper because it's very spicy. And for our younger kids, it's a little spicy. They did all of that work with us. And they did all of the required testing and getting its statement so that I can serve it in school. That's great. So anyways, do they know that? My families know it because it says Scott's Jamaican beef patty on that. And so part of that is what are you using? How are you marketing to your students? We want you to stand on the child side of that serving line. Please take a look at it. What does your student see when they walk in that door? What do they smell? What do they hear? What do they see? What's hitting them? When you're serving two, 300 meals in one lunch wave, that's very different than when you're serving two or 300 covers over the course of an evening in a restaurant. That's tables of four, it's tables of two. You're serving two, 300 people in the course of six, seven hours. Mm-hmm. We're serving two or 300 students in the course of 10 minutes. And I want to make sure they don't lose sight of that this is food. Does it look fresh enough? Is it cold enough? Is it hot enough? Are you really analyzing it every single day and critiquing your food? Not what you do. There's difference there. And so looking at it from that aspect, how do you communicate with your parents? How do I let them know that we have a farm to school harvest of the month program? How do they know that that butternut squash came right over here from Keeney Park? Mm -hmm. How do they know that it's fresh? And that it's not a frozen product. Looking at how you're using your cafeteria, how you're marketing to your families is one of the aspects of that. Uh, One of the aspects is absolutely that farm to school. You'd be surprised at how many school districts have local produce and they don't even realize they have local produce. So they think they don't participate in farm to school because Farmer Joe down the street didn't drop it off to them. Our vendor actually sends us pictures of some of the farmers that they purchased from. We put them up on our serving lines, have a farmer to school day, have them come and talk to the students. But utilize that cafeteria is not just go through the line and never look back. Simple little things. Can they do little things like that? And how they can take their area and be a part of that school. That's awesome. I want Hartford's program to be the very best program in the country. I'll settle for Connecticut. So we have service members, we have three of them this year that are assigned schools and they go into those schools and they do an incredible amount of taste testing, nutrition education. I have them work with the school depending on how what the school's goals and objectives are. Some of them want school gardens, which is another great way to be able to do some education with students. And again, this is not about Hartford. I can go anywhere in this country and you can ask a student, where did that French fry come from? And half of them are not going to be able to tell you a whole potato. And I would say to you, that's what they would say to you was their only vegetable of the day was was a French fry. And they don't understand that it doesn't grow in the ground that way. So the school gardens, while certainly, unless you're telling me you're in a small school setting with a very large plot of land, are not going to be able to service our needs for 20,000 meals. That's not what what they're going to be able to do for us. But what they are going to be able to do is expose students to vegetables to see how they grow, to get them excited about how they grow. Because the one thing about nutrition is, Unless you chew it and swallow it, it's actually not nutritious. And my role is to get you to chew and swallow it. And I'm not sitting here at home saying, if you don't eat this, there's no dessert. Or if you don't eat this, there's no TV. That's not what the setting is. And it's in a very large cafeteria with a lot of students who influence each other. So our role is to make sure we're providing the choices students want and the quality that we feel is standard, nutrient dense, that's going to be student acceptable. And so I laugh about, I don't put chicken nuggets. I, I, I don't, we have chicken tenders and <laughs> not my favorite food, but our students consume it. 
You have to chew and swallow it. Just to point out to people so they know, there is a difference in the two. You know, a chicken tender is actually the tenderloin part of the chicken. It's a piece of, you know. Whole muscle. It's not chopped and formed. It's not mashed up and put into a ball, shaped into a small little dinosaur and then breaded. It's an actual muscle, like like you get a yes. beef tenderloin. It's a chicken tenderloin. Yes. We all have tenderloins, right, Lonnie? Right. Even me. Yes, even you. <laughs> exactly. We all have tenderloins. And so um, it's that. It's, it's staying on top of trend. The student that I fed in the 1990s is not the student. Again, when I said to you a more sophisticated student, our students go out to eat more. Well, and food as entertainment is a thing now. You know, right. People pay attention more. They learn a lot more from it. And I think when families are seeing that hard work you're putting in by getting those farm fresh things put on menus as they, as they stand and look at that refrigerator door for what they want. Uh, I think that's really, really important. It shows how much you actually care about the kids here in our state. And Lonnie, we really do appreciate that. Thank you. We uh, we put a lot of time. We spent a lot of time looking at food taste. Test. We were laughing the other day. We, we taste test. We were looking at a hot dog. We were comparing an all beef hot dog, which is what we have now, to a turkey hot dog. And the dietitian in me wanted the turkey hot dog because it's significantly lower in fat. But the food service taste tester in me and all of my staff, we were on the fence. But our students, we brought it to our students in a summer program. Beef hot dog one. Absolutely. It's not a conversation. And that's the end of it. I'll save the fat somewhere else. <laughs> Absolutely. Lonnie, we appreciate your time and look forward to chat with you on down the road. Best of luck getting some more staff in there and we're pulling for you. Thank you. If you know anybody, send them on my way. We're hiring, okay? Thanks, Lonnie. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. That was Lonnie Burt. She's the Senior Director of Food and Child Nutrition for Hartford Public Schools. To all the kids listening, make sure you're kind to the staff in your school's cafeteria. Those teams are working extra hard just for you. And parents, don't forget, if you're going the homemade route, check out the recipe excerpts from today's show at ctpublic.org slash recipes. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. Season is produced by Robin Doyenakin and Katie Tolarski. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you next week.